please turn with me to your study outlines in your program. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at the Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho, and our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We're continuing our summer series called The Journey. And it's based on the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The title of our study is The Return Journey. Now, basically, Deuteronomy is a farewell speech from Moses before his death and before the nation of Israel enters into the promised land. That's basically what Deuteronomy is. It's a farewell uh, speech from Moses. Now, Moses has just had Israel renew their covenant with God. But he predicts that even though they made this covenant, they're going to break this covenant in the future, disobey God, and be punished by being dispersed all around the world. So now we come to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and here's what he says. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations... And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And then our theme verse for the day is Isaiah 66, verse 8, written in 700 B.C., 2,700 years ago. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor... Then she gives birth to her children. Milton B. Lindbergh writes, Without the existence of the nation of Israel, we would not be able to say with certainty that we are in the last days. That single event, more than any other, is the most prominent sign that we are living in the final moments before the coming of Jesus. The Hebrew people have been called God's timepiece for the ages. And so what we're going to look at today is the audacity of, of the Bible's predictions. Now, there are two things I want to say before we get into this study. First of all, if you're here and, and, and you're, not following, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're considering the claims of Jesus, you are my hero. I'm so glad you're here. It's awesome that you're willing to be in a church and, and sitting here and kind of listening to the, the claims of the Bible to be truth and to the truth claims of the Bible and of, and of Jesus. Or if you're watching online or if you're listening by podcast, my gracious, we are just, uh, you're, you're just, I just honor you for that, that you're, that you're open-minded enough to like consider the evidence, and that's just awesome. And I just want to encourage you that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of area of evidence uh, for the truth of the Bible. But I tell you, just the one we're looking at today would be enough for me. It, it's just, I, I think it's incredible, and I, and I hope as you listen to it, and you're considering following Jesus, you'll say to yourself, okay, maybe Glenn is overstating the case here, or he's exaggerating there. Or maybe this particular prophecy, ah, I don't really buy the connection there. But I believe even if you do that, there will be enough left over that will give you a pause. And you'll say, wow, maybe there's something supernatural going on here. And, and maybe it merits 
a, a, a deeper look into other areas of evidence for Jesus. And then the other thing I need to mention is kind of a disclaimer, I should say. Uh, the Bible says that one day in the future, uh, this is what I believe, Bible scholars way smarter than me disagree on this and have different opinions, but, but this is what I believe. The Bible says that one day in the future, Israel will be a spiritual nation under the leadership of Jesus. Now here's what I want to make clear. That is not true yet today. That is not true today. Israel is a secular state. And so in my enthusiasm today for what God seems to have done and is doing in the nation of Israel, I am not saying, I'm not saying that everything the secular nation of Israel does is good or fair or just. Uh, we must fight for what's fair and just for the Palestinian people as much as for the nation of, his, of, his, of Israel. And so we have uh, many people from the Middle East that are part of our church family. We have much ministry from our church that goes in, church planting and refugee help and, and all kinds of ministry to people in need. So, so we, we, we must fight for what's just and fair for the Palestinian people as much as for the nation of Israel. So don't mistake my enthusiasm for the fulfillment of these uh, prophecies uh, with the fact that I believe that at this time, Israel is that nation led by Jesus. It is a secular state, and so not everything it does is good or fair or just. Okay, let's dig in. Here are the seven prophecies I want us to look at today. Number one, the Jewish people would become a great nation from which blessing would come to the whole earth. Uh, Genesis 12, the first book of the Bible, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 B.C., God appears uh, to Abraham and Sarah. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, just think about this for a moment, how crazy this is. This was written to an elderly, childless couple in the middle of nowhere. So God appears to this elderly, childless couple in the boondocks, in the middle of nowhere on planet earth, and says all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed uh, through you. Now, uh, this mainly is a spiritual blessing, that through them would come Christ. And we are part of those people that have been blessed uh, through this promise. But if you talk about Israel as well and the Jewish people, uh, Israel is just such a tiny spot on the map. It is, it is practically nothing. It's roughly the size and shape of Vermont. Vermont is one of our smallest states. It's not a country. It's one of our smallest states. If you take Vermont and turn it upside down, that is roughly the size and the shape of Israel. At one point, Israel is only nine miles across. At one point, it's only nine miles across. How many of you here live in San Bernardino County? Let me see. How many here live in San Bernardino? Okay, we got a bunch of people at our church live in San Bernardino County. San Bernardino County is over 20,000 square miles. Israel is less than 8,000 square miles. You can fit two and a half Israels into San Bernardino County. Uh, with regard to population, out of 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet, only 15 million Jews are in the world today. 
about six and a half million in the United States, about six and a half million in Israel, two million are scattered elsewhere in the world. So that means out of 7.7 billion people in the world, only one out of every 513 is Jewish. And only one out of every 1,185 are Jewish and are living in the nation of Israel. And yet almost every day, there's something in the news about Israel. I mean, I checked it last week. Every day last week, there was something in the news about Israel. Even though it's this teeny little group of people on this teeny little speck on the face of the planet. And there's this kind of unreasonable, excessive hatred for Israel and, 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 and the Jewish people. I mean, there are six and a half million Jewish people in Israel surrounded by about 400 million people who hate them and a world of 7.7 billion who don't like them very much. Now you say, Glenn, you're, you're exaggerating. Well, I don't know. I saved this from just a few years ago. I thought it was so ironic that the United Nations had a summit on racism. The United Nations has a summit on racism, and the keynote speaker on the first day was somebody who had repeatedly called for the destruction of the nation of Israel and who was a denier of the Holocaust. That was their keynote speaker the first day of the UN summit on racism. I guess the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan wasn't available that day, so, so they, they got, it got him to, to, to speak at it. Now, uh, the second thing uh, that uh, the Bible says is that the Jews would become a very large number of people who would positively affect all nations. Genesis 26, verse 4. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. You say, wait a minute, Glenn. I thought they were just a tiny number of Jewish people. No, no. They're talking about us here. That through them would come Christ followers and, and others. Do you know that if you add together all the people that consider Abraham their spiritual father, so that would mean adding together Christians and those in Islam and, and, and the Jewish people as well, it's 57% of the population of the planet. It's 4.4 billion out of 7.7 billion. It says, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Now, I believe the primary blessing there, you know, vastly the primary blessing, is Jesus would come uh, through the nation of Israel. That, that's the primary way. But it is interesting, and, and I'm just saying this in the sense of, isn't it interesting that there are other tangible blessings that have happened to the world as well. Um, Mark Twain, and he said this like, what, 150 years ago or so. Uh, he said something very interesting, and this is a century and a half ago. He said, Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. Actually, today, it's 0.2%. It's a fifth of a percent. It suggests a nebulous, dim puff of stardust in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of. But he is heard of. He is as prominent on this planet as any other people. His commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and obtruse learning are also altogether out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in the world in all ages, and he has done it with his hands tied behind him. Uh, there's a, just an interesting factoid. I love these little factoid things, and, and you take it or leave it if you think it's significant, but I think just one astounding fact, 
that kind of dramatically illustrates Mark Twain's point is the disproportionate number of Nobel Prizes that have been awarded to, to people of Jewish background. I mean, it's, 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 it's really, really uh, crazy. You know, Nobel Prizes in chemistry, biology, in, in all kinds of other things like literature. Um, from 1901 to 2007, a total of 777 Nobel Prizes have been given to individuals in recognition of significant contributions to mankind. Of that total... 176 have been awarded to Jews. Of the 7.7 billion inhabitants of the world, only 15 million are Jewish, less than 0.2 of 1% of the total world's population. That means by percentage, out of 777 Nobel Prizes, one or two of those recipients should have been Jewish. But 176, that minuscule percentage of the population has won 22.2%, has won 22.6% of all Nobel Prizes awarded to this date. Uh, then the third thing the Bible says is that the Jewish people would be uprooted from their homeland and scattered uh, worldwide. Uh, Hosea 9, verse 11, my God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. Part of this dispersal happened in 722 B.C. at the hands of the Assyrians, uh, what is today the nation of Iraq. 586 B.C. at the hands of the Babylonians. Uh, then Jesus predicted this 40 years before it happened, 70 A.D. with the Romans. Deuteronomy 28, verse 64 says, Then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. Uh, during Jesus' time, there was a Greek geographer named uh, Strabo. And he writes, This people has already made its way into every city, and it is not easy to find any place in the habitable world which has not received this nation and in which it has not made its power felt. Now that was during Jesus' time. They were already scattered. But then Jesus predicted that they would be even more scattered in 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and the city of, of Jerusalem. Jesus uh, said this. His bio, one of his biographers, uh, Luke, said, They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Then Jerusalem would once again be under Jewish control. In June 1967, there was this massive attack on Israel by, by the nations that surrounded them. And it was called the Six-Day War because it only took six days for against vast, huge, overwhelming odds um, Israel to win that battle. One interesting kind of note from our church family is um, Rami, who was sharing um, last uh, Sunday, the young man that was sharing up here and how powerful what he shared was. Well, his um, uh, parents, uh, they are Sam and, and Lillian. And um, I've heard their story. Sam, they go to the 830 service. They're in Sunday school class right now, but they go to the 830 service. And his dad, Sam, was a tank commander for the Egyptian army in, I think it was either the Six-Day War or the 1973 Yom Kippur War. And, um, and, and so he was missing after the war was over. And what happened is the Israelis advanced so quickly that the Egyptian army got caught behind. And Sam from our church as a, church, as a tank commander got caught behind enemy lines in Sinai. 
And he was lost on the Sinai Peninsula for three months. They were trapped back there, and all the churches of Egypt were praying for Sam, and Lillian was in one of those churches that was praying for him. Henry Kissinger came in, negotiated their freedom to go back uh, to Egypt, and Lillian found the man she'd been praying for. They fell in love, and they got married and lived happily ever after, and, uh, and Rami's their son. So Israel won that battle. And the city of Jerusalem was once again under Jewish control. Jeremiah 33, verse 24. Have you noticed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two kingdoms he chose, that is Judea and Israel. So they despise my people and no longer regard them as a nation. Number four, the Jews would be a persecuted uh, people. Deuteronomy 28. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread, both night and day, never sure of your life. But the Bible says in spite of this persecution, number five, the Jews would be preserved as a people and not lose their identity. And oh my goodness, has that been true. Uh, Gal Gadot, um, better known as Wonder Woman, Uh, writes, I definitely have a strong sense of my Jewish and Israeli identity. I did my two-year military service. Let me just pause for a minute. That explains the success of the Jewish army, all right, the Israeli army. They have, hello, they have Wonder Woman on their side, all right? And her friends are Superman and Batman and Aquaman, all right? So, so, um, um, at any rate, I digress, all right. I did my two-year military service. I was brought up in a very Jewish, Israeli family environment. So, of course, my heritage is very important to me. I want people to have a good impression of Israel. I do talk about Israel a lot. I enjoy telling people about where I've come from and, uh, and my religion. So, every other group of people, when they go into another nation or their, or, or their nation, another nation is established where they previously were, they disappear into that new place where they are. I mean, for example, where are the Canaanites? Where are the other ancient civilizations today? Uh, Where are the Canaanites? Where are the Assyrians? Where are the Babylonians today? Or the Carthaginians? Or the Phoenicians? Or if you move to our hemisphere, where are the Incas or the Aztecs? And so when you get scattered, there's this tendency to melt into your new country, but that hasn't happened for the Jewish people. Uh, Jeremiah 30, verses 10 and 11, God says, So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. Which leads us to number six. The Jewish people would eventually return to their homeland from all the nations. Uh, How did Israel come into existence? Now, how many of you are um, history geeks like me? Do we have any of you around here? Okay. Please, the rest of you, forgive us. We are going to, just for the next couple of minutes, we're going to have a geek-arama, okay? We, we are going to have a geek uh, history geek fest, so just, just hang with us for a couple of minutes. There were three people or, or, or events that were key to the formation of the nation of Israel. 
One was Chaim Wiseman. He was a Russian Jew. He was a brilliant chemist and a leader of the movement to get Israel a homeland. He immigrated from Russia to England in 1904. And during World War I, the English army used a gunpowder made of cordite which produced little smoke. And that was very strategic in battle because if your artillery fight shoots and there's a ton of smoke, you can't see to fire again. You're firing blind. And it, the, here's the problem for England when they went to war uh, with Germany. Uh, it required, cordite required acetone, which was imported to England from Germany. Now that's the essence of a bad day when you go to war with somebody and your opponent has a monopoly on all the main ingredients of your warfare. And so the Prime Minister of England turned to Wiseman for help. Uh, and Wiseman created a biochemical process for synthetic acetone. And as a result, England won the war. So at the end of World War I, England gained control of Palestine. And out of gratitude to Wiseman, they proclaimed what was called the Balfour Declaration of 1917 that said that England would use their best efforts to form um, a homeland uh, for the Jewish people in Palestine. But as things so many times do, it got bogged down. Until at the end of World War II, as a result of the Holocaust, there was worldwide sympathy for the Jewish people, and people began to give money to help them relocate. And then the final piece of the puzzle was President Harry Truman. Now, there was huge opposition. He wanted to form a Jewish homeland, but there was huge opposition on his cabinet. The main person that was against it was General George C. Marshall, who was the mastermind behind winning World War II and the Marshall Plan was named after him in which he was used to rebuild the continent of, of Europe. And by the way, back then they called it Judea, not Israel. So back then they were talking about the name being Judea uh, in, instead of Israel. Now, Marshall was not against the idea philosophically. He wasn't. But as a military man, he knew how to win battles, win wars, and lose wars. And he said, if you take 600,000 Jews and surround them with 30 million of their enemies, they're just going to get wiped out. This is a suicide mission. We are just sending these people to their death. And that's why he was against it. But Harry Truman was a Baptist. He was a stubborn Baptist. How many of you know a stubborn Baptist? Let me, let me see your hands. Okay, He, he was a stubborn. And, and he knew his Bible. And he actually quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy and said, we are going to do this thing no matter what. He had a saying on his desk there in the Oval Office, the buck stops here. And he said, the buck stops here. I want this thing to happen. And so it's going to happen. And so Israel proclaimed their independence on May 14th, 1948, and the British government declared them to be a nation on May 15th, 1948, in fulfillment of Isaiah 66, verse 8, that was given 2,700 years earlier. Who has heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day, or a nation be brought forth in a moment, yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Zippy Livni said, when the state of Israel was established, it was for the parents and grandparents of these young Jews a miracle. It was David and Goliath. Isaiah 11, verses 11 and 12, 
God says, in that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time. He'll reach out his hand a second time. Has that happened or is it going to happen even more in the future? To reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. And so people began to stream into Israel from all over the globe. Never seen such a thing in all of human history. Jeremiah 23, verse 8. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north. And out of the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. Uh, Test me on this when you get home. If you have a globe at home, put your finger on Jerusalem and go due north and your finger will end up on Moscow. In the the heart of of Russia, Jerusalem is 35 degrees east longitude. Uh, Moscow is 37 degrees east longitude. In 1989, Russian Jews like Tevye that we just saw from Fiddler of the Roof began pouring into Israel at the rate of 1,800 a day. Zephaniah 3 verse 10 says, From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. Uh, they poured Cush's Ethiopia. And so in the late 80s, they'd be Ethiopian, African Ethiopian Jews began to pour into Israel. Today, there are 125,000 Ethiopian Jews in Israel. Ezekiel 36, verse 24, For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, and bring you back into your own land. Now, for those of you that are just real um, uh, Bible prophecy fanatics, I'm not going to go through this. Uh, because it, it glazes my own eyes when I, when I read this. But you can go on our website. It's on our website right now. If the rest of the sermon is boring, just go to the website right now. And Ezekiel 4, verses 3 through 6 is a fascinating, just, just a, a fascinating prophecy that you'll see it explained there, we believe predicts to the day to May 15th, 1948, to the day, 907,200 days before it happened, it predicts the exact day that Israel would be formed as a nation. And then number seven, the Jews would see their land again become prosperous. And I would say despite its lack of natural resources, all they have is their own ingenuity and, and, and their own minds. They don't have natural resources. I love this quote by Golda Meir. She said, let me tell you something that we Israelis have against Moses. He took us 40 years through the desert in order to bring us to the one spot in the Middle East that has no oil. So so he wanted for 40 years, and he shows up in the one place that doesn't have oil. Now, we can appreciate this as... As Southern Californians, Israel is about the same latitude as Southern California. We as Californians know about things blossoming out of the desert, don't we? You know? It's called Fontana. It's called Rancho Cucamonga. I mean, when I came here, there was nothing there. And, and, and we've had cities blossom out of, out of the desert. Um, Israel has about the same latitude, similar climate and geography. Los Angeles is 34 degrees north latitude. San Diego's 33 degrees uh, north latitude. And Jerusalem and Tel Aviv are about 
32 degrees uh, north latitude. Uh, Joel 2, verse 23, in 500 B.C., he says, Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. I've been reading some fascinating articles this past week. Do you know that there's been about a 10% increase in precipitation in Israel per decade since 1948? Isaiah 27, verse 6 uh, says, in days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom, and fill all the world with fruit. Do you know that Israel produces 90% of the citrus fruit for the continent of, of Europe? Isaiah 41, verses 18 uh, through 20. Let's skip down to that. Isaiah 41, verse 18. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. Uh, the Israelis, since they were formed as a nation in 1948, have planted about 250 million trees, quarter of a billion trees. Israel's the only country in the world that entered the 21st century with a net gain in its number of trees, and it's made even more remarkable because this was achieved in an area considered mainly desert. Isaiah 43, verse 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So Jesus said in Matthew 24 about signs like this and like other signs of his second coming. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather as elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. The fig tree is the symbol of Israel the same way an eagle is the symbol for the United States. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation. Now, we're not sure what generation he's talking about. Which generation? Our generation? A future generation? We don't know how long a generation is. In the Bible, a generation can be 20 years, 40 years, 70 years, 80 years. A generation can be 100 years sometimes in the Bible. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And all God's family said, amen. Let's have the praise team back up as I just share one more story. Story is told of a little girl who had trouble sleeping one night. Her bedroom was upstairs and her parents were downstairs reading. First she asked for a glass of water, then a cookie, then she wanted to know what time it was. Finally, her parents' patience ran out. And they warned her to go to sleep, threatening to punish her if she called them again. The best she could do was lie there, watching the ceiling and listening for the striking of the grandfather clock downstairs. When the clock struck 11, 
Something must have gone wrong mechanically because as she counted the hours, the clock told 11 and kept on going. 12, 13, 14. When the clock told 18, she threw caution to the wind, jumped out of bed, ran downstairs, and said, Mommy, Daddy, it's later than it's ever been. It's later than it's ever been. And I would just say because of what we've been reading about this morning and because of other things we see in the Bible, it's later than it's ever been. And if you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, when we're done with worship, the prayer room's going to be open. And there are people that would just love to pray with you. If you'd like to open up your heart and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be prepared for when he comes back again, because it's later than it's ever been. Uh, Let's stand together and let's worship together.